We begin tonight with Donald Trump's brief testimony in the penalty phase of his second trial for defaming E. Jean Carroll. It came after the judge, Lewis Kaplan, reiterated in graphic detail what the former president had already been found liable for, namely sexually abusing Ms. Carroll. Also, with several interjections from the defendant, the judge established tight parameters on what Trump attorney Alina Haba could and could not ask. It made for quite a scene today, and senior political analyst, New York Times senior political correspondent, and Trump biographer Maggie Haberman was in court to see it. So was CNN's Kara Scannell. Also joining us, CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Um, Kara, what, what did say on the stand? I mean, it was so fascinating. They spent about 10 minutes going back and forth to try to really contain the questions that would be asked and what Trump's answers would be to stick to those confines. And then his testimony was over in less than three minutes. So it was just three straight questions from his attorney, Lena Haba. She, they had, earlier in the day, Carol's team had actually played uh, video clips of Trump's deposition in this case where he mistakes Carol for Marla Maples in a photograph and also just repeats some of his statements that he doesn't know her, calling her mentally ill. So Haba asked Trump, do you stand by your testimony in the deposition? Trump says 100% yes. She then asked him, did you deny the allegation because Ms. Carroll made an accusation? Trump said, that's exactly right. Yes, I did. She said something that I considered a false accusation, totally false. The judge cut him off and said everything after yes, I did is stricken from the record. That was really the only time we saw Trump veer away from what was very strictly adhered to. And the last question Haba asked him was, did you ever instruct anyone to hurt Ms. Carroll in your statements? Trump said, no, I just wanted to defend myself, my family, and frankly, the presidency. The judge also told the jury, disregard everything after no. So it was such a contrast from when Trump was on the stand in the civil fraud trial, where he used that as a platform to make political speeches, mm -hmm. to attack the judge, to attack the New York attorney general, you know, really kind of taking the campaign into the courtroom. That was not the case today. It was very controlled and his statements were really just specific to the questions and ones that had already been worked out. Elif, just from a legal standpoint, did Trump do any, himself any favors testifying today? Well, it certainly could have been way worse. I was actually surprised that he really seems to have done very little, if any, harm to himself. And I think the irony of this is Donald Trump has complained loudly about the judge here, Lewis Kaplan, who I appeared in front of many times, yet I think Judge Kaplan did Donald Trump a real favor because, as Kara laid out, the judge throughout this trial has set very tight parameters and he has allowed zero nonsense, true to form, for Judge Kaplan. And as a result, Donald Trump was not able to get up in front of the jury and go on a political tangent and to make himself a martyr. He just answered three fairly straightforward questions in very straightforward fashion. Now, it remains to be seen, A, will the jury believe what he said, credit what he said, and B, even if so, how much is that going to reduce a damages award? Maggie, what stood out to you in court? Well, so I had a slightly different take. I think part of why Trump was so controlled, comparatively speaking, is he is always pretty good at figuring out the bounds of what he can get away with. And I think he had been warned repeatedly, this is not a state court. This is not Ngoron's court. Kaplan is really no nonsense. And it's a federal court. So to wit, Trump's spokesman was thrown out of court because his phone went off at 1 o'clock. And the rest of us had to give up our phones. Um, and, and I don't think that that's going to be, that person's going to be permitted back. Um, so I think that Trump was aware of what the parameters were. But he did still go outside what he was supposed to do. And so when Kaplan was, was having this discussion with Alina Haba about what Trump would say, he literally kept saying, tell me exactly what he's going to say. And he would say, so is that really it? And are you, are you standing by that? And Haba kept saying, that's my understanding, as I understand it. And it's what we hear people do with an asterisk with Trump over and over again. And he did go outside of what he was supposed to do. So and I th he got in the things he wanted to say in front of the jury. So I, I don't think he hurt himself, but I actually think he managed to 
get away with a little more than it seems. He's expected back in court tomorrow. Mm -hmm. yes. How much of this is about his feelings about this case and the importance of it? How much of it is for political reasons, fundraising? I, I, I think it's both. I mean, but I do think that he is, he has been incensed about this case since 2021. I mean, I've been hearing complaints about this for, for two and a half years. Uh, he regretted not testifying in the initial trial that was held. He regretted um, that, you know, he, he heeded advice by everybody, not just his counsel at the time, not to testify. He is very big on control, and he is very big on believing that he's his own best defender. So I think that's a big reason. But does it have advantages? Absolutely. And these court cases have become indistinguishable from the campaign trail. Yeah. What, what, Karen, what was your biggest legally takeaway from uh, what happened? Well, interestingly, he called uh, her prompt outcry, E. Jean Carroll's prompt outcry witness, uh, Carol Martin, to the stand. His side did. And and it, that hasn't been talked about as much as, as him testifying. But I thought he actually made a little headway there uh, because this is a damages phase of the trial. And the jury needs to figure out and put a number on how much, how much damage, frankly, uh, he did to E. Jean Carroll's life. And what he got out of Carol Martin, who was a prompt outcry witness, meaning she's the person who E. Jean told about this back when it happened. Yeah, yeah what, exactly. She also had some thoughts about E. Jean Carroll that she admitted to putting in writing to, I think it was her daughter, talking about how she liked the attention and she, she was somebody who likes the public spotlight and and is not, this was not, this didn't ruin her life the way she has said it would. And I think he made a little headway there from, from the damages portion, because that's really all they're determining is how much, right. how much money, what number to affix to this. So if it didn't harm her, then I think that that exactly. might have made some headway. And, and Kara, what happened, you agree with that, Megan? Yeah, um, What happens tomorrow? So tomorrow will be closing arguments. Both sides say they're going to take about an hour. Then the judge instructs the jury on the law, and then deliberations will begin, maybe even by lunchtime. You know, and it's possible, I think, we could see a verdict tomorrow, because if you look at the first case, they had to find, uh, answer the question of the sexual abuse question, the defamation question, the damages question. They did that under three hours. So it's possible, unless the jury is really in disagreement, that there could be a verdict tomorrow. And also, Ellie, just in the in the Georgia case, uh, the election subversion case, Trump's attorneys are joining calls for the dismissal of the DA, Fonnie Willis. What are they alleging in the new filing, and how likely is it that she will be dismissed? I mean, her judgment is in question. Yeah, so two sets of allegations here. I don't think either of them is likely to result in the charges against Trump being dismissed, but I think there's a real question about whether the DA can continue on the case. The first set of allegations is that the DA's office brought in three outside lawyers to help work on the case on a contract basis. That happens. The allegation is that the DA has a personal romantic relationship with one of the th three lawyers, a man named Nathan Wade. The allegations, first of all, he's underqualified to do this. He's never tried a felony case at all. Now he's trying the biggest felony case in the history of the state of Georgia. The allegation is that he was paid, and the documents back this up, $650,000 for his work when the other two were both paid under $100,000. And finally, the allegation is that some of that money paid to Mr. Wade was used for personal vacations that he took and personal recreation with the DA, Fonnie Willis. So we'll see how that comes out. There's a hearing on that on February 15th. Allegation two is that we remember a couple weeks ago, the DA went in front of a church and made a public speech where she said, essentially, isn't it interesting that of the three lawyers I brought in, they're picking on the black man? And she essentially suggested, or maybe more, that the motivation behind these defendants' motions 
was racist. And so the allegation is that those statements are potentially prejudicial to the jury pool that will eventually decide this case. Karen, do you think these are grounds for dismissal? I do not. I, I think if perhaps she had a relationship with a defense attorney or a judge on the case, then there's a, a direct conflict of interest. But this is literally two consenting adults in an office romance. I mean, this is kind of a, more of an HR type issue than an issue that you would see would be disqualifying on a case. Isn't it incredibly stupid? I mean, if, in fact, she had a relationship with this person? I mean, how... This is a, probably the biggest case of her life. It's something that the whole country is watching. You would think any responsible adult would be ultra careful in their behavior, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. And uh, and she definitely, I think, regrets... It, part of the speech that she gave was that she's made some mistakes, and uh, and I think she, she agrees with that assessment. But at, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with whether or not Donald Trump or the other defendants did what they are alleged to have done. And this really is a distraction and a sideshow that has nothing to do substantively with the case. Ellie, didn't she get called out previously by a judge for incredible lack of judgment in throwing a fundraiser for somebody? Exactly. She was already disqualified by a different judge during the grand jury phase because she held a political fundraiser for the political opponent of someone she subpoenaed. And I, I agree with Karen that whether this is romantic or not is doesn't matter to me. What does matter, and I think is a serious issue, is the money and the payment of an enormous amount of money to this person who she has some sort of relationship, doesn't matter if it's romantic or not, and then some of that money making its way back to her, that's a real issue. And then separately, the comments, I think, in front of a church, I mean, why do we have these gag orders on Donald Trump? One of the big reasons is we collectively, we the justice system, are afraid that his public comments might taint a jury pool. Here you have the DA, very popular in Fulton County, standing up and saying, the reason these defendants, these people I'm trying to lock up, are making these statements is because of race. That's incredibly inflammatory. Everybody, thanks.